I don't have any talent when it comes to music, but I always thought that I can barely press play. Uh, but I always thought it would be incredible to play the guitar like that. Um, anyway, we're so grateful you're here. If you have children that are going down to Children's Church, they can dismiss out the back uh, with Miss Melody. Uh, if you have children that are staying with us, there's activities on that back table that they are free to grab and take to their seat uh, and use throughout uh, the sermon. I love that last song where it talks about who God is and how it is just a concrete fact, a truth of who God is. And that's going to be part of what we talk about today. We are once again in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, and today, we are wrapping up our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is our 15th and final sermon from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we began this series back in uh, January with the Beatitudes, and Jesus has challenged us week after week to examine our hearts, to examine our motives, and to uh, follow Jesus fully by making Him Lord of our life. Real quickly, let me just give you some context to the Sermon on the Mount, and then we will jump into Jesus' closing statement for us. The Sermon on the Mount comes early in Jesus' ministry. He has been baptized by John the Baptist. He has gathered his disciples, his closest followers. He has been tempted in the wilderness, and he is beginning his ministry, and he is performing many miracles, and he is drawing a crowd. Miracles tend to draw a crowd. And so Jesus has people that are following, that are interested in trying to figure out who he is and what he is doing, and he goes up on a mountain by the Sea of Galilee, and he starts to preach. And that's what we are studying. He is studying his preaching, his Sermon on the Mount. But one of the important things we have seen and for us to remember today is that Jesus' audience is primarily made up of his followers. It's made up of God-fearers and those people who are at least interested in him. We saw last week this context is significant. Last week, Jesus gave us three pictures by which to examine our hearts and our faith. And in each case, he said there are some people that, who look like they are following him. They, they look to the world like they are Christians. They look like they believe in God. But they have been deceived, and they are not genuine followers. Last week, we saw that there were two roads, wide and narrow. We saw there were two kinds of prophets, sheep and wolves dressed like sheep. And then we saw two trees, one with good fruit and the other with bad. And then this week, we will see two houses, one built on the sand and one built on the rock. And these are all a warning revealing the same thing. There are genuine Christians, genuine followers of Jesus, and then there are false Christians who might have looked good, but weren't truly followers. It's a warning, and the warning is that there's a lot of people who look like they're on the right path, that look religious on the outside, but they're going to hear the, the most terrifying, unexpected verdict at the end of their lives when Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. And so today we are going to see it's not enough to just know of God, to know of Jesus, to know of the Bible, to go to church, but we must not only hear of God, but we must follow and build our lives on who he is. So we're in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 24, and then we're going to read through the end of the chapter in verse 29. This is Jesus speaking. He said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you for the chance to study your word, to gather together. God, I pray that you would just speak to us clearly today, Lord, and that you would reveal to us what it is we are building our house on, what we're building our life on. Are we building our life on you, or are we building it on something else? 
So God, I pray that if we are building our life on anything other than you, that you would reveal that to us today, Lord, and that we would turn and that we would follow after you. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you that you are the rock, that you are unchanging, that we can know you and know who you are. And it's your name we pray. Amen. So as we said in the introduction, the people listening to the Sermon on the Mount were God-fearers. They were people trying to follow God, and they were interested in the words of Jesus. We live under the impression that good people that are trying hard go to heaven. And people who respect God go to heaven. But Jesus here and last week is painting a different picture. He says it is only those that know him, that believe in him and make him Lord of their lives that are genuine followers and will one day spend eternity with him. We like to base it on external actions. But as we've seen throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is concerned about our hearts. And the interesting thing we see in this picture is that there are a lot of external similarities in these two houses and in these two lives. The house built on the sand isn't described as being full of satanic worship and weekly Bible burnings on the front lawn. But the house is described as looking just like the other house. But the foundation was different. From the outside, the houses look the same and the owners look the same. From the outside, we would have struggled to differentiate between the two houses. But the foundation, the heart, could not have been different. This takes us back to verse 21 last week. In verse 21, Jesus said, there will be, uh, Jesus said there will be many that looked like his followers to the outside world, but they were deceived and their hearts were full of pride, of self-reliance, of selfishness, as opposed to surrender to Jesus. And Jesus says, although they may have looked good on the outside, even though they may have said the right words and done the right things, they never knew Jesus and he never knew them. They never surrendered their lives and followed after him. They built their lives on themselves as opposed to Jesus. And destruction, he says, awaits. Jesus is concerned about our hearts, not the facade of the life we have built. And this principle has been at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. So our first point is this, and we're going to talk about it. And that is that God is concerned about our hearts. He's concerned about our foundation, our life, not just our religious actions and our outward appearances. So let's look at the similarities here. First of all, note that both of these people, both of these houses, they had heard Jesus' words. Jesus says in verse 24 and verse 26 that both parties heard his words. Both parties knew of Jesus, they knew of his teaching, and they, they knew how to follow Jesus. But one of the parties chose to apply and follow after Jesus to build their life on him, while the other chose to build their life on themselves, on their own desires, their own comforts, their own priorities and wants. And this is, is significant because Paul in Romans 10, 17, he says, Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So Paul says we have to hear the words of Jesus in order to have faith. But it's not enough to just hear the words. We must also obey and apply the words of Jesus in our life. It's not just enough to hear of a Savior. We must also choose to follow after him. We often use the gift card analogy for this. The gospel, the hope of Jesus is that Jesus paid the price for my sin and the price that your sin deserved. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wage, the consequence for my sin and your sin is death. It is eternal separation from God. The Bible says we cannot earn our way back to God. We can't do enough good deeds or say any magical words to earn our way to God. The Bible says we are sinners and that sin separates us from God. But the hope of the gospel is that Jesus lived the sinless life we could not live. And then he willingly died the death that our sin deserved. He sacrificed or gave of himself on our behalf. He took what we deserved and bought what we could not earn. He has paid the price, but it's not enough to just hear of his sacrifice. 
we must also choose to follow after him and build our life on him. In the same way, having a gift card is not the same as experiencing the benefit. So my birthday was a month or so ago, and for my birthday, my mom, she went out and she bought me a gift card for Red Robin. Right? I love Red Robin. I love their teriyaki chicken burgers and their fries. Like, love Red Robin. So my mom went out and she paid the price for our meal. But for this past month, that gift card has just sat in my wallet. I had not yet received the reward for her sacrifice. I knew of it, but I had not ex- received it. I, I knew it was there, but I had not received it. But this past week on Monday, we were in Salt Lake, and we went to Red Robin, and we redeemed the gift, and we experienced the reward. It wasn't enough to just know the gift had been bought. Until it was redeemed, it was just another card in my wallet. But when we went and redeemed it, we experienced the gift. We experienced the sacrifice my mom had paid on our behalf. In the same way, it's not enough to just know of Jesus, to hear of his love, but we must believe and follow after him in order to receive his gift, his forgiveness, his salvation, eternal life from him. He has paid the price we couldn't pay. He has earned the gift we couldn't earn, but we must obey and receive it. It's not enough to just hear, but we must receive it. We must believe and build our lives on his foundation as opposed to the shaky foundation of the world. So the question we ask is, have we just heard of Jesus or have we believed in his words? Have we trusted our life in following after him? Because we see in the story, it's not enough to just hear, but we must hear and obey. So both builders heard the words of Jesus, but only one followed and built their lives on the words of Jesus. The next thing we see is that not only did they both hear the words of Jesus, but they both built lives that looked good and quite similar. Jesus doesn't say one house, one built a house and the other lived in a tent in squalor, but he says both built houses. And what we see is that that we are all building something. We are all building a life. But the question is, what are we building our life on? I go back last week, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Again, in both cases, they are both roads. But Jesus says the broad road, the easy road, the road that looks good today, the, world that, the, 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 road, the road of the world, it is deceptive, and it leads to destruction, though it might look good today. And what we see here is that we are all building a life. We are all traveling through this life. And the external may look the same. It may even look better on the broad road. But it's the foundation. It's the heart that truly matters. And so as you examine your life, don't just judge it by by the external. And don't compare your life to others. Because Jesus said, just because your life may be going well today and look blessed to the world, that doesn't mean you're following God. And just because your life may be a struggle today, That doesn't mean you're not following God. We're all building a life, but it's the foundation of our life that matters most. And the next thing we see in this sermon, in this Sermon on the Mount, his story here, is that we are building a life, but storms are coming. And storms are coming for all of us, and it's the storms that reveal our foundation. We can build a great facade, a great-looking life to present to the world or on social media, but when the storms come, our foundation, our heart is revealed. That's our next point. Storms are coming, and storms reveal our foundation. They reveal our faith. So both people in this illustration heard Jesus' word, both built houses, they both built lives, they both experienced storms and testings. But it's in those storms that we see the difference 
In verses 25 and 27, Jesus describes the storms the same way. He says, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. The idea is that every single person will experience storms in this life. Sometimes the storms come in the form of financial uncertainty, the loss of a job, health struggles, the loss of a loved one, relational trials. You fill in the blank for what your storm is today or has been. But no matter who we are, no matter what our life is built on, no matter the resources and wealth we may have, we will all face storms and trials in this life. And when those storms hit, they test us, they refine us, and they reveal what our life is truly built upon. The storms of life, the trials of life reveal our faith or they reveal our lack of faith. Right? When life is going well, it's often hard to know what we have built our life upon. But when we are tested, it becomes quite apparent where our faith lies. Peter in 1 Peter 1.7 writes about trials. These have come so that, that your faith may be proved genuine and may, be, it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. I know when I think about my life, it was often the storms, and often is the storms, in which my faith was not only revealed, but it was the storms in which God tested and grew my faith the most. As a pastor, I see this all the time. For many, it's the storms of life that bring people to God. And for many others, it's the storms of life that drive them away. There are many that follow God in hopes that he is going to make their life easier and more comfortable and better today. But when the storms come, they abandon God because he's not doing what they think he should be doing or what they want him to do. He's not providing in the way they think he should. And so when the storms come, when the testing comes, their faith is revealed as non-existent. When life gets hard, they walk away from God because they never knew him. And they never built their life upon him. And so that's a picture we get here. When our life is built on God, we cling to him more because he's all we have when the storms come. But when our life is built on something else, when the storms come, we will crumble and fall away from God. The Bible also uses storm imagery like this, not just for the storms of life, but as a symbol for final judgment, for the end of our life. Even if you get through this life without much, much difficulty or many storms, we will be tested on that final day. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, wrote, whether your religion be true or false, it will be tried in the end. In the end, we must all face the storm of final judgment, and everyone will be tested on that day. And on that day, as we saw last week, in the end, our true heart, our foundation will be revealed, and that's all that will, be, all that will matter. We will all be revealed as a genuine follower of Jesus, or as a facade that never truly knew him, and he didn't know them. So to the world, these two lives look the same. They all heard the words of Jesus. They both built houses or lives. They both built lives that looked good from the outside. They both faced storms, and they both faced the ultimate storm or judgment in the end. And we see that one life stood firm on the foundation or the rock of Jesus, and the other crumbled because it was built on sand. And so although they appeared the same on the outside, their foundation, their heart, their motivation was dramatically different. So let's unpack the difference between a life built on Jesus and a life built on the shaky sand of the world and ourselves. The first difference we see is that one of the builders heard Jesus' word and put them into practice, into action. And the other heard Jesus' word but trusted in their own strength and wisdom. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but it's not enough just to hear of Jesus and know his name. But we must put our faith in him, trust and turn our life over to him to follow his wisdom and his ways. In order to receive the benefit of knowing Jesus, we must respond to his name and put our faith in him. 
We talked about this a lot last week, so I'm not going to bore you with it. We talked about the gift card analogy earlier, but it's not enough to know of Jesus, to go to church, to do good deeds. Our knowledge, our church attendance, and our works cannot save us, but only faith in Jesus. The next difference we see is that one was called wise and the other was called foolish. Jesus says the wise person is the one who hears his words and follows after him. The foolish person hears Jesus' words and goes their own way. It's an obvious distinction. Right now, it is thunderstorm season in beautiful Green River, Wyoming. Um, And we get thunderstorms, it seems like, every night right now. But because I'm coaching baseball, I have my phone set to alert me anytime lightning is within 10 miles of my location. Now, the wise person hears that lightning is within 10 miles or within 5 miles or 2 miles. And what do they do? They, They seek shelter. They go indoors. But the foolish person, on the other hand, scoffs at the alert, and they go and they grab a metal pole in defiance of the alert, right? The wise hears the message and obeys its advice, but the fool hears and does their own things. Proverbs 8 sums it, like, eight sums it up like this. It says, whoever finds me finds life's life and receives favor from the Lord, but whoever fails to find me harms himself, for all who hate me love death. So again, Jesus here divides us into two camps. There are those that hear his words and follow after him, and he leads them to life. But on the flip side, there are those that hear him, go their own way, and he said it leads to death and separation from him. Again, we as humans, we we love to believe this is more nuanced and that all roads, as we talked about last week, lead to heaven. But Jesus says that's simply not the case. He says there is one way, one road, one wise path that leads to heaven, and it's through Jesus alone. And while that might seem like folly to the world, Jesus says he alone is the source of life, and the wise will follow after him alone. So you are, are you a person that Jesus would call wise this morning? Have you heard his word, heard his hope, and followed after him in his ways, or have you gone your own way, trusting in your own intellect, your own wisdom in the ways of the world? And then the third, third difference is the, the culmination of these two. He says the wise builder builds his house on the solid foundation, on the rock. He builds his life on Jesus, while the foolish builder builds his beautiful house on the sand. He builds his house, his life on his own strength, his own intellect, and the shaky ways of the world. But again, note that there is no noticeable distinction in these two houses from the outside. Right? They could have had the same design. They could have been painted the same color. They could have the same uh, architect. They, they could have the same Zillow estimate in terms of value. But we see what's underneath is dramatically different. Remember, Jesus is talking here of followers. He's, the context is people there that are followers. There's people that are interested in him. And he's saying to these people, you can look similar on the outside. You can look good on the outside. He says, what's in your heart? What's your foundation is what matters. Growing up, my, my grandma lived in a really cool old farmhouse, and I looked it up uh, this week, but the house was built in 1911. She sold this house a couple of years ago, but one of the things that made that farmhouse so cool for me as a child were these sloped floors in her house, right? Foundations in 1911 were a little bit different than they are now, and there were spots in her house where the foundation had failed and it had to be fixed, but the floor still had a little bit of slope to them. So we could run our Hot Wheels cars or our marbles down them a little extra faster, a little extra fast. Okay, that might not be the best example because I said it was interesting, but uh, perhaps a better illustration of a failing foundation is this. I grew up in Oregon. You guys, I've told you this before. And in Oregon, there are uh, people that build beautiful houses on the cliffs overlooking the Oregon coast. 
And every few years, it rains in Oregon a lot, but every few years there would be these abnormally heavily, heavy rains and these cliffs would start to crumble and give way. And to the outside world, these houses were worth millions. They were stunning. They, they looked perfect. They were the envy of everyone that saw them, but they were built on bad ground and on shifting sand. And eventually these beautiful houses, these houses that were built with the greatest supplies that money could buy, they had the best engineers that mankind had, and they would crumble and fall into the sea. In the same way, Jesus is saying, saying what, what your life is built on is what matters. And he says it is himself in the Bible that is the only solid foundation. The ways, the fads, the thinking of the world are like shifting sand. He says God is a solid rock. And we said the storms are coming, and when they come, we see some dramatically different results. First, we see what happens to the follower of Jesus when the storm comes. Jesus says the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Jesus says, for the one who builds their life on me, for the one who follows after me, for the one who believes in me and makes me Lord, they will stand. Jesus says, when the storms come, your life will stand if you have put your faith in him. He says, neither the trials of this life or the end of this life will cause you to stumble and crash away. Because you have built your life on the one constant rock who can sustain you and who leads to life. I love how Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Paul said, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. This is the hope and the promise we saw last week. Jesus gives a warning to those who aren't genuine Christians, but he also gives a tremendous encouragement to those that are his genuine followers. He says, and Paul says, if you have built your life on Jesus and followed after him, then there is nothing in this world and beyond that can separate you from his love and from his life. Victory is assured if you are a follower of Jesus. But then in verse 27, we get the warning. Jesus says, for the other built on the sand, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. It didn't stand, but it fell with a great crash. I love how Ray Fowler illustrated this point. He said, great crashes are not good. <laughs> Whether it's an auto crash or a stock market crash, you don't want to be any part of it. Jesus says, if you build your life on sand, your life will end in a great crash. And these words signify complete ruin, complete and utter devastation. Fowler continues, I went through Hurricane Andrew down in Homestead, Florida in 1992. And we saw what happened to those houses that were not built to code. They were completely demolished, nothing left but a pile of rubble. When the rain came down and the waters rose and the winds blew and beat against those homes, they fell with a great crash. He says that's what happens when your life is not built to code. That's what will happen, Jesus says, to anyone who has not built their life on the solid foundation of Jesus and his words. Proverbs 10.25 says, when the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. When the storms of life come, your wisdom or your foolishness regarding Jesus' words will be put to the test. And what you have built will be made clear to you and to those around you. And so Jesus ends his sermon on the mount, not on this high note for the believer, but he ends it with a crash. And it's a solemn warning to all of those who disregard Jesus and his words in the sermon. If you're not grounded and if your life's not built on Jesus, your life will eventually crash 
and lead to destruction. That's our final point. It's the culmination of this illustration, really the culmination of the Sermon on the Mount. And that is that a life built on Jesus will not falter. But a life that is built on anything else, anything but Jesus, Jesus says, will crumble. It will end with a great crash. And with that, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it comes to a conclusion. He's told us time and time again what it means to be his follower. He has told us that it is what's in the heart, that what ultimately matters. He has called us each to examine our hearts, to examine what we are living for, and who it is or what it is that we are following. And we're left with this question, who is it that we are following, and what is it we have built our life upon? And as we conclude, we get Matthew's description of the crowd's response. Matthew writes in verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he had taught with one, as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So Jesus spoke. He has spoke a lot. He has preached. And he says the crowds were amazed at his teaching. They recognized that he spoke with the authority of God and not just as another teacher. He clearly claimed in the Sermon on the Mount, we heard, saw this, to be the Son of God. And he called people to turn and follow him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, the multitudes were astonished. What had happened? The Son of God had spoken. He had taken the judgment of the world into his own hands, and his disciples were standing at his side. The people saw that there was something different about Jesus, and they were left with a choice, just as we are. Do they simply stand in amazement and marvel at his teaching, or did they recognize his authority and make him Lord of their life? Jesus just said that both heard his words, but some would build their life upon him, would follow after him, and some would go their own way. And today, we like the crowd, we stand amazed at Jesus' words, but we're left with the question, will I build my life upon him or will I build my life upon myself in the world? So as we begin to conclude, John and Rebecca, they're going to come and, and lead us in a closing song. But for the question for us today is, what will our response be to Jesus' words? I think amazement is a great place to start, but we see it's not enough. The crowds were amazed, but they were still on the wide road. They had not entered through the narrow gate by responding to Jesus in faith and obedience. So how are you building your life? What is your foundation? Do you want to build something lasting, something that will withstand the storms of life and the, the storm of the judgment to come? And Jesus says, build your life on me and my words. Hearing is good, but it's not enough. We must not only hear of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, we must put, uh, put our faith in him and put his words into action. And so if you're here and you need to trust Jesus for the first time, you can do that in your seat. You can do that by coming and talking to me or talking with a friend that you know is a follower of Jesus. It would be our joy to answer any of your questions that you might have and to help you follow him with your life. Or maybe you're here and you are a follower of Jesus. Perhaps there's some areas of your life that you recognize where you know you are building your life upon the world or yourself as opposed to Jesus. I pray in these next few moments that there are those areas that Jesus would reveal them. And he would reveal those areas where we are trusting ourselves and trusting the world. And as he does, we would surrender those areas. We would repent of that sin. And we would take steps to trust Jesus, even in those hard areas of our life. So I'm going to close this in prayer. As I close this in prayer, the Tuckers are going to come, and, and they're going to lead us in one final song. And I'll come back up and, and lead us in some announcements. Dear Lord, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you are a good, good father, Lord. And we thank you that that is Sure, and that is true. God, we thank you that you are a rock, that we can build our life upon you. So God, my prayer here today is that if there's anyone, Lord, 
that has not built their life upon you, if they are heading towards a crash, God, my prayer is that you would reveal that to them today, that they might choose to follow you. They might choose to make you Lord and to build their life upon you. God, I pray for the many here that are already your followers. God, I pray that you would reveal those areas where we are holding on, where we are living our life trusting ourselves or trusting the ways of the world as opposed to you. God, I pray that you would make those areas incredibly clear. Lord, that you would give us the courage to repent and turn them over to you. God, we love you, Lord. We thank you that you are the rock. We thank you that you have made a way for us to be forgiven and to spend eternity with you in heaven. God, would you lead us that way today? We love you and we praise you. It's your name we pray. Amen.